0: In a world where attempts to sideline thinking about the specificities of racial oppression by those who suppose that class analysis best thrives when the field is cleared of emphasis on race, one bear and one lady seek to critically engage with the notion of racial identity and your heart. This summer, fall in love With knackers and the veg.
1: Comrades, welcome to the struggle. And by the struggle, I mean me. Give me your money. Help my struggle against capitalism. I mean, you don't have to. You're perfectly welcome to visit uh, Sans Contribution. But frankly, I'm fucked I think I might be on the edge of a little gum disease. I'll have to ask my surprise and special guest in post-colonial January. Do I have the thing known as gingivitis? Tarnine Onus
0: Williams. Have you noticed breath? Uh, I have not noticed breath at all, so you mustn't, right? Thank you, thank you.
1: I uh, first met Tarnine and embarrassed myself by being, you would have to say, a fangirl. You came to my uh, my immediate attention at the same time you came to a national attention which was on the date of, I believe it's January the 26th. That it is. 2018. Do the words burn it down mean anything to you? Uh, Throw away metaphorical And in situ, very amusing comment made by one of uh, WAR or Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, a group of chiefly young people. Yep. Who somehow or another, and this is why we have Tarnine here, somehow or another organized a rally the size and the likes of which I've not seen in some time. Frankly, she's responsible for. uh, you know, making protest great again. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think it would have been, uh, it was certainly the largest gathering on that particular day. If you're listening overseas, January 26 is known in the territory, uh, commonly referred to as Australia, as Australia Day, and mm. it celebrates colonisation. does. Yeah, look, it's a good day to ignore it. It's an even a better day to protest on it, and it's, um, and, but yeah, a much better day to 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 protest it. And I had not been because you know I'm super old, as you know, at which juncture you're supposed to say no. I disagree. Okay, <laughs> no. S- so I, mean, I disagree
0: with you being old.
1: This is so, yeah. this is the biggest January the the twenty sixth public expression of wanting to address the settler colonial past that I'd seen in thirty years. And the big one, uh, nineteen eighty eight, you weren't born, but it was, according to uh historian uh Professor Gary Foley, likely to be the largest gathering of Aboriginal peoples in all history,
0: recorded and otherwise. Yeah. I think I think in a Aboriginal led movement, yes. Because I was talking to somebody earlier today about the Reconciliation March, which is really hilarious, but a lot of Aboriginal um, people did. Reconciliation March was? In 2000. Right. It was 500,000 people. Mm. Um, But it wasn't led by Aboriginal people. Obviously, Mm. reconciliation is part of um, government policies from the 70s, but it was the biggest gathering, which is like the biggest self-determined black political movement of people and the protest, yeah.
1: Okay, so this is a good um, entry into talking about your particular uh, uh, political, your systemic view um, of racism of the colonial, not just past but present. Mm. Um, and I should tell you, you, Arneen, yes, that – I was a member of Residence for Reconciliation, so if you ever Google it, you <laughs> might find out, so I may as well come out now. So in the 1990s, I was being a good girl, I was getting a good wage, and I was a uh, public servant. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, naturally, I became let's reformed from the inside, and there were some very, you know, well-meaning white people like me in Residence for Reconciliation. We meant well. And we've always meant, well, don't you understand? No, I'm joking. Um, But, yeah, I just thought. But So these sorts of movements of reform that borrow so much from the Western tradition, which is not to say that, you know, your tradition of Aboriginal protest is specifically Aboriginal or doesn't belong to the west, like it's strategic and 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 practical, or would you say mm. that they they i mean it's different in the sense that it is aboriginal led that doesn't mm-hmm. n- and that it opposes
0: authority and what came before. would you say that this is correct yeah, I think so i th- I think that we definitely oh I guess with a war anyway uh one of the one of the biggest things was that it's like has to be led by Aboriginal people and Aboriginal people have to be at the centre, and also like engaging with community, which is a huge part of what we do as well. Like, you know, especially here in Melbourne,
1: I want to, um, I want you to explicate the notion of engaging with community mm-hmm. because I know you mean something very specific by it, but it is also the language that can be used in, you know, official state brochures and stuff like community engagement, our number one priority, and of course, you know, it might mean we know an Aboriginal person or it might mean we dragged a a bunch of like terrified Muslim people into a hall so we looked like we were consulting but we weren't really. So Mm -hmm. so what I really want to do with you uh, Mm -hmm. is not only kind of. Tease it out. Yeah, place you uh, Mm -hmm. and war and this extraordinarily successful demonstration of solidarity, uh, demonstration of survival yeah and actually, you know, I would say there were many good speakers on the day, including the great Tony Birch. Mm-hmm. You delivered your speech with humor and a sense of kind of like almost comic exhaustion that you'd had enough after two hundred and thirty years. That was the role <laughs> it felt to me like you were playing,
0: yeah, look, I was like i think i've I, you know I've said that so many times before, um burnt down uh and Yeah, it didn't seem unnatural. It didn't seem unnatural to me. So it was definitely, like, full of anger but also, like, exhaustion but also it was like, oh, yeah, I've said this a million times before so why would it be any different now? Um, But, yeah. Well, uh, you know, context
1: we hear is everything and in the context of having a very successful number of people attend this demonstration, did it exceed uh, the expectations of the organising committee? Yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm always really nervous to if anybody will show up.
1: Um, but I think oh, we're that- going to we're going to show up. Are <laughs> we January the 26th in several Australian cities? Yeah, and we're going to show up and show unqualified respect. We can do it one day a year, comrades, at mm-hmm. least. But. It exceeded your expectations.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I really, like, this year, like, I'm happy if 60,000 people show up, but I really want 100,000 people to come. Like, I want to see that. And I want to just – I really do want to see as many people out as possible. So, like, I'm really looking forward to it. I think also war is, like, working in different – like, working in, like, a space which we haven't where we're actually – Um, calling for the abolition of prisons and we're calling out the healthcare system for killing Aboriginal people, which we haven't done in previous years because, you know, the right always like to bang on about how it's about the date and we're, like, really, like, sticking it up um, this Mm. year to talk about the issues that are most important to us and the the things that are killing us. And on the poster for the um, Invasion Day it says, stop killing our people and taking our future because we'd held a meeting with community um at a pub and just caught up with community there and we got messaging from them and we asked them, like, what do you want to talk about, what do you want to talk about and people decided on that and that was, just, that was the messaging from Aboriginal community that said that they wanted to come. We invited 150 or 200 people or something like that. The meeting was open up to Aboriginal people in Victoria and also um, other Aboriginal people living in Victoria as well. And our community decided that and we've taken that, um, war has taken that and we've, like, led this march and that's the issues that our community want to focus on because we're sick of it being about the date. We don't want to focus on the date. We want to focus on the issues and the treatment of, Aboriginal people in this country, like in like William Cooper and Jack Patton were protesting in um, 1938, 81 years ago, they were protesting about the treatment of Aboriginal people and we're, you know, we really do, we're just repeating what um, our elders have done and what they've done before us and, you know, packaging it up to something that's in okay for 2019. And I think, yeah, that's the, I think that's why, well I think that's why this year is going to be much more different uh organizing invasion day because of because of that because we're taking issues forward this invasion day.
1: yeah uh, there were issues addressed in as much as they they can be in a great mass showing of survival and of support and solidarity uh, but you did manage on that day to do to communicate a message that many people, hadn't considered before, and you know one that I you know personally have written about in in various ways um, and and whatnot and you said very succinctly that you were not interested in changing the date mm-hmm. and there were some nice white comrades there who had changed the date placards. you gave a short justification of why changing the date was really a tertiary concern for you. That was not why you had organised, why your comrades had organised and why so many Aboriginal people who had informed you had gathered. And I saw a few people put their signs down and it just clicked. I thought, that fucking bitch. No, I I wish I was gifted of such (laughs) brevity. Um, So I'm sure you can't repeat uh, or you have no memory because you extemporised on the day what you said (laughs) but... Give me the lowdown. Why are you not interested in change the date?
0: Well, number, like I think you know, we I'm not well I'm not interested in change the date because it celebrates white nationalism and white nationalism erases our nations and clans and our identities as Aboriginal people and you know it's like Nazi symbolism really like it's you know that's white nationalism it's white. It's white supremacy, and we're not ready to celebrate. Can I just say Mm -hmm. in the
1: current, like, Western context where we're seeing actual Nazis, you know, they might deny that they're Nazis, but I think on the 4chan or whatever they call it, Mm -hmm. power-level hiding, it's like never admit outright that you're a Nazi. Although, sure, get photographed in your kind of, like, Hitler paraphernalia on your Facebook page. Yeah. These people are Nazis by their own admission. They don't say to the media, now... Nazism is not understood, and I'm using a ve- you know a, a very extreme example here. But like Nazism is understood as an aberration by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nazism is understood as how could this possibly happen? And I guess the question that you may pose, and uh, you're a person who applies the term genocide to what occurs in Australia, mm-hmm. to the people whose property was enclosed and made private like it is a process whether conscious in the present or not of of genocide Mm -hmm. and you don't have to wear shiny black boots for that to happen
0: yeah and i think like one of the like there's one thing that i always think about and that's uncle rob thorpe he says you know that australia is a nazis wet dream and it's you yeah, know, that's no mistake. Like, obviously he's been an activist for a really really long time and you know, people are raising up now, but Aboriginal people have been saying that this for years. And yeah, there's like more Nazis out there, but also they've been there for ages too. They've been sitting in Parliament, they've been sitting on Collins Street, they've been sitting, you know, um, in human rights organisations or wherever. And I think when we when we're talking about genocide in a way that it affects Aboriginal people, we don't see it as that. We just see it as good intentions sometimes, which can also be not is not helpful and can also be genocidal as well.
1: Yeah, there are plenty of people who mount um, you know, very persuasive arguments about why the term genocide should be reserved um you know should be mm-hmm. should be the preserve of international law to decide whether or not such and such a thing yeah is genocide but the important thing i see uh, coming from your writing your interviews your expression as an activist and an organizer is what you don't do so much is individualize racism i know from personal experience that you will call it out if like say some Becky says something like really like clumsy and in poor taste to you, yes, I'm talking about me, Uh, and that's fine. You know, somebody insults you. It was, uh, I'm not going to say it was so generous of you to correct me, but like, yeah, I was being a fuckwit. I thought I was being hilarious. And um, so like call it out and all of that, but what war aren't doing is calling out individual misdeeds. What Mm -hmm. war, as far as I understand it, are not doing is presuming that we need to fix bad attitudes and it's much more important, say, to abolish prisons, that would make much more of a difference. And in fact, you know, why not call it utopian? But what is truly utopian to me when you're talking about, you know, any important social shift is the idea that it's actually – probably going to be a bit easier to shift an institution than go around and change everybody's ideas. Yeah. What what do you think?
0: Yeah, war definitely it 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 concentrates on the colony, hey, like it concentrates mm. on it doesn't concentrate, you know, lots of campaign organizations will concentrate on certain politicians or on certain people, but war calls out the whole colony on it's bullshit. We don't, we, yeah, we don't see like we don't see the point of wasting our times on individuals because we're the individuals are a product of this country, and we, yeah, and that's what we do, and that was the like how it shifted as well. We war at the start, war well before war was created. We went, o- they went over to Turtle Island, and they were engaging with communities over there who'd been affected by mining companies, who people who are living on reservations, different people and communities that were, you know, in resistance movements. And they brought it back here and then, you know, four people created the Collective of War. And it was a collection of what have gone before but of also... Like indigeneity in Turtle Island, Black Power movement, and a bit of everything. Black Power movement in Australia as well as in the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as yeah, def- definitely more Black Power movement here. Yeah. Um. But you know, and all of those move, all of those movements. If we look at Turtle Island, and if we look here, it's we're literally doing what other you know, like a self-determined movements mm. do, and that is to concentrate on like the real enemy and that's the colony and not individuals. And we, like we've done it, you know, for, with prisons, like with Brisbane have been campaigning to to stop the building of prisons in up in Brisbane. There's mine, the mining company move. There's here, us here in Melbourne with the trees and Vic Roads and, you well, know. We'll
1: get to the trees later because, yeah, um, yeah the, the trees is a, uh, an interesting action to talk about. But that's what struck me. Uh, the last few years in terms of the West, uh, the global South, the entire world, one could say, were fairly depressing. <laughs> it's easy to think of yourself, if you're the kind of person that worries about your community or your, your world or the shape of things or being able, and this has been ongoing for you I think since like 2012 was your... To use the trademarked phrase of Oprah, aha moment, in which I think uh, you you attended, it was Invasion Day. You attended an action, the the one in which Julia Gillard got a shoe thrown at her head. That yeah, that Australia's Prime Minister, mm-hmm. and I've read you write about how that was the day that a whole lot of concepts. Because I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Sandra Onis is your your grandma, yes? Yeah, I love. That you both have this name owners, you know, <laughs> our responsibility, and yeah. in watching uh, and 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 hearing her talk, there is the same sense of oh, look, do I have to? All right, well, you're all fucked, and I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's just like this very kind of like natural sense of just disgust and exhaustion that I think is quite powerful. You know, it probably feels as instinct to 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 both of you. But all of those lessons that she taught you and she was important in the black power movement, yes, mm-hmm. and still is?
0: Still is. But more specifically, I think for Nan, it was more like she really concentrated on Portland and the Gunditjmara country mm. more than the black power movement as a whole, if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, which was makes sense, really yeah. interesting to other, like, which is different to – the Black Power Movement. I think hers mostly concentrated on, like, caring for country, which she done like massive things. Yeah, just from looking after country.
1: Well, I mean, you mm. appear with that youthful energy at different times in history, mm. as well. And, you know, country, perhaps, was more of a concern to to many more. I mean, you know, urbanisation has occurred. You live in a city, and Uh, You you know, so it's, uh, both things are, you know, both approaches are equally valid in their time, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But essentially it seems to me, and I I don't know a great deal about her thought, but it seems to be um, an approach of understanding the mechanisms of power. Yeah. And it seems to be an absolutely constant state of sniffing hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. uh, What a government says and what a government does can be so divergent.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, especially, I don't know, with things at the moment, like, it's just like gaslighting, really. It's like, it really is in terms of, well, at the moment, you've got the Victorian treaty process, which is a whole other conversation. But when they're like, when, you know, the Victorian government perform as being really great, it's, but then they're really shit and are locking up Aboriginal people, and then building more and more prisons. You know, it's like, oh my god, what's going on? Well,
1: you, you know, uh, your your grandmother um, s- speaks, and you can look at this on YouTube if you if you want to. She speaks about the apology mm-hmm. given in uh, given by Kevin Rudd in the year two thousand and eight. Um, he'd been prime minister for almost a year. Uh, One of his election promises was, of course, to uphold the racist intervention, the so called emergency response. I don't know what they've changed the effing thing to now. I think they call it Happy Golden Futures for Everybody (laughs) or something. But, you know, and Julia Gillard then in turn renewed the thing for 10 years. I hear, although I don't know, that at the time in the territory, the whole thing was a joke, Mm -hmm. that uh, news came in the in the territory that Kevin Rudd would give this emotional presentation. And, I mean, I know it was very emotional for a lot yeah. of Aboriginal people, wasn't it? It was like.
0: A hundred, yeah, 100%. It was very emotional.
1: You would have been quite young because you're only now 25.
0: Yeah, I was 15. <sighs> oh,
1: wow. Yeah. And so perhaps you felt neither here nor there about the moment?
0: I thought, for me, I thought it was pretty massive, but also I was like, well, what now? Even back then, I was thinking, okay, he's going to say sorry, but like then what? And there's no compensation then. Well, yeah, and this is the traditional
1: colonial settler way of saying sorry. Surely with a return of of assets. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, you've got to make something in this capitalist society. But um, yeah, and I oh no, I mean there
1: there is a case for reparation, absolutely. Like yeah, hundred percent. I understand. In the terms of what we have. Yeah. And in the terms of what can be achieved, I think that, um, you mm-hmm. know, the black nationalist movement in the US, while I don't agree entirely with nationalism at all and am mm-hmm. an internationalist kind of kind of person, mm-hmm. okay, so what can you meaningfully change? What truly change-making reform can you have? And, you know, a lot of yeah.
2: like black,
1: black nationalists are saying, well, yeah, really, uh, we built the wealth of this nation. Um, you used us as property. You commodified us. We mm-hmm. weren't even people. We were simple labour. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, worse than beasts, uh, we were machines. Mm-hmm. Ergo, reparation please, because it can be proven uh, in uh, you know an ongoing economic context that this original theft of time of labour of life built the America that we have today. And so, reparate, and it's the same in Australia. I mean, all our wealth comes from the material resources of this place.
0: Yeah. But then I think, yeah, with, I guess with reparations, like, I think that's a whole different conversation. I'm
1: just, yeah, I kind of, I guess I'm talking about it hypothetically to test test, um, how you think, I guess, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that, like, well, for me, I wouldn't, for me, it's blood money. Like I wouldn't agree with like reparations. I like like yeah. I just couldn't like.
1: I love nothing. I I love it when people like refuse to take state money.
0: Yeah, I just couldn't. And I was having this conversation. Um, like, war and, well, just personally, all of us were stating. And it, well, I was just thinking, I was like, I could not take the blood money. I'd rather, like, something change dramatically than take money off the colonizer because it's just it's also like. What am like what yeah, what am I gonna do with it? It's it's just gonna S- put money back into the state. It's sure. gonna keep continuing things and the cycle is just gonna keep going.
1: Absolutely. So you want to smash capitalism. Yeah. 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 I thought you might. Yeah. Thought you might be one of those. Yes, I'm one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have really no wisdom I can offer you at all, <laughs> as you know I'm a bit of a deal. <laughs> The one thing I can say, if anybody tells you at 25 that you're thinking like a utopian, you're not. And you, yeah. can, you can hold onto these ideas for your entire life and, and gift them to the next generations if there are any and we're not all dead by 2030. And it is utopian to believe that we can continue as we are and i'm referring not just to the entire system of organisation in mm-hmm. the world but also i guess in a kind of psychological sense the mass
2: mm-hmm.
1: white unconscious in or whatever you want to call it in australia is i'm not asking for sympathy here <laughs> hugely damaged it doesn't function
0: yeah it Well, I think that, I think one thing that I find, like, solace in is that Aboriginal people, and for me, even learning to think forward, like, I need to, like, for me, I need to think outside of me and my lifespan. I need to think outside of my kids, my grandkids, and what will be the future, and what's the future that I would want to see, like, seven generations from now, for instance, as a the lucky number, and if we can't imagine what the world would look like, then how will we ever get there? And mm. I think that it might be a bit utopic, and it might
1: no, it's not. It's, I it mean, might,
0: but it might seem like that. But it's like
1: needs to change. Things yeah. are about to break. We know that, right? Yeah, otherwise
0: we're all going to burn up and just all die together. Well, people might, rich people might fuck off to Mars, but we'll be burning down here on Earth. Um,
1: <laughs> and, but and and there, sadly, their wealth will mean very little. I mean, it might ensure, um, you know, the survival of the species. The species, Whose founding yeah. fathers will be uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. Yeah. Awesome. But I've, I guess Mrs. Bezos is not going up there now. Do you hear they're having a divorce? Oh, I don't even know who they are. Oh, the Amazon people. Well, Jeff, oh, Jeff Bezos, um, okay, who was yeah. briefly in 2018 the world's richest man. Oh, my God. You know, and then Bill and then Jeff and,
0: you know, whoever. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, anyway, they're getting divorced.
0: Okay. Mm. Sad. I wonder what the divorce, you know, settlement would look like.
1: I think this is a question (laughs) on many people's (laughs) minds. Um, You know, these gentlemen with, uh, and a few ladies, of course, and some people of colour. So it's nice that, you know, we've got diverse representation among the ruling class.
0: I know. It's
1: really changed things for the better. (laughs)
0: I don't even, Kylie Jenner's up there, the youngest billionaire nearly, isn't she? Uh, yeah. And there's only <laughs> there's only about 2,300 of them in the world. So it's
1: a very small club of people. Yeah. And, yeah, Kylie, Kylie Jenner um, represent is what you young <laughs> people don't say <laughs> and haven't for some time. For a while. To believe that we can keep going on as we are, uh, as, you know, Nominal Australian citizens, but as beings without significant changes, that is utopian. And mm. if you can't see beyond the present and you can't imagine something better, and you know, you don't have to write a blueprint for how it might look. No. And the world is going to change anyhow. Like yeah. Whatever your. Well, maybe not your opponents, but people who think that um, what war is aiming for is ludicrous is not following the success of so many who came before, which is working within bureaucracies and really improving things.
0: Yeah, look, which I don't didn't think... happen. <laughs> yeah, we, you'd never yeah catch us on the inside. <laughs> Uh no 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 uh and
1: um I mean of course you know one fully understands why somebody would choose reform over revolution or the kind of thinking mm-hmm. which may be called utopian but is actually realistic because you have to imagine a future
0: yeah exactly otherwise you never get there like you can't you know when you're younger and you imagine oh yeah I might want to be I don't know a lawyer or a doctor like. You'd never get there if you didn't imagine that you're going to get there.
1: Okay, that's that's really interesting because that is, you know, like a big kind of it's an interesting analogy that you use because it is kind of in one sense. I mean, yes, absolutely, self-belief, self-esteem, all of that stuff, but the idea which at its most extreme end is mm-hmm. kind of like uh, the the Western adaptation of what they see as Eastern philosophy,
0: yeah,
1: uh, or your Oprah, the secret kind of mm-hmm. thing, which is like the mystic version of reformism, liberalism, identifying with the ruling or colonial class. It's like, dream it and you can be it. You know, if you've got a heart full of hope, you can transform your life. But you and I both very much know that our existence is, to some degree, predetermined
0: and yeah. that there are only certain choices we Get to make can, in life. Can make. And I think, like, I 100% agree with that. But in terms of, like, I think the way I was thinking was, it was an there was never, um, I know you wouldn't have, you wouldn't meet a doctor that never imagined that they weren't going to be one. You know what I mean? Like, the doctor would never have become a doctor if they didn't imagine that they were ever going to be one. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, or I do. I know, do.
1: Like, we don't you know, have to, like, I don't have to kick the guts out of this analogy and completely destroy
0: it. Look, but it's like, but it's just like you would never yeah. have met a doctor who, if he didn't imagine that it was, there was, they were going to be one, then they would never have got there in the first place. I guess that's what I'm trying to think because I don't want to be
1: who hates your job. Email me Helen at badhostess dot <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs>
0: I've got to
1: give you – got to lend you this really fun book. It's called Bullshit Jobs. Okay. And it's full of people who hate their jobs because their jobs actually achieve nothing, unlike doctors, of course. But, yeah, you can always email me about anything um, at, at com. You are listening to knackers, knackers, knackers in the vag, vag, <laughs> vag. I am yet to introduce you to the bear named knackers. Uh, the function of knackers is – well, eventually it became this. Uh, I, I started doing this podcast on my own because nobody would talk to me, so I had a bear. Now the bear's function – <laughs> is you throw him at me when I bang on too much or misinterpret you or I'm being a turd or a beggy turd. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the, the business of long or short calls, but I, I see that what you have is not optimism but a commitment to systemic thinking, thinking that goes beyond you, a kind of resignation, I suppose, that things aren't really going to get better in your lifetime
0: yeah and i and that's the thing too people like have this narcissistic idea of like oh i want to see this in my lifetime and it's like oh well if i didn't achieve this in my life then i haven't achieved like you know what i mean it's that's not an achievement i just hear people say like oh the world hasn't changed that much i've been working this hard but i won't be disappointed if things are still similar to how they are now when i'm like on my deathbed like it's not it's a about putting you know laying the foundations and I think as well I think I think being black is I think it makes it much easier to think that way I was going to ask you that. yeah because we had we lived in a world where that didn't exist beforehand so we lived in a world where prisons didn't exist capitalism didn't oh well obviously a lot of people did too but you know like we lived in a world where our cult like we had our culture we looked after country and so like this idea that's like almost utopia is like actually down like down to the core black and aboriginal like you know that is actually who we are and so when people talk when we talk about it it's not even utopia it's black it's actually being black and practising being black.
1: And it wasn't that long ago. No. It really wasn't that long ago. So it exists through, you know, oral and written history and somehow or another uh, what one might call Aboriginal culture continues whether or not no one knows how much that has been morphed yeah. Present and uh, all that aside, and
0: also it's just like all the language it's used is dressed up in academia, and it's like not actually down to the core of like what I think people. Yeah, I don't know. Like people, it's like yeah, it's just be, like being anti-capitalist, being anti-colonial, being um, anti-prisons, whatever is just down to the core being black, and like at that at its core, it is.
1: Yeah. You know, there is this ongoing very widely, if not universally shared, experience of being at the really fucked-up end of capitalism's worst excesses, the worst excesses of the state apparatus such as prison, police control, Mm -hmm. military intervention happening this century Mm -hmm. in the Northern Territory. I mean, you know, it's extraordinary. So there is that understanding uh, I, I I guess, of of the worst that can occur when these systems take place, and then also the the memory. So it's sort of social as well as cultural, yeah, I guess I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that because, um, if I'd kind of like asked it, it would have sounded very much like, tell me about you know your your mystic roots, but it's not about that, is it? It's a statement of this is a very common thing for white people to understand. Um. When I was smaller, I used to hear stories um, from my parents about the Aboriginal people uh, before I'd met any, and it was like, they don't own the land, the land owns them, which is a very popular and persistent white conception. Mm -hmm. In one sense, land enclosure making, um, you know, common goods, private property, very much a white Western Mm -hmm. ruling class imposition. And so, in one sense, kind of true, but in another, it's like they don't even care about money. Oh, they're inscrutable, they're mystic. Mm. This is just not true. It takes about five seconds to understand capitalism, right?
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: It's, yeah, it's interesting to me that you that, that, that you say that that there is almost an inherited and still present revulsion for the kinds of effects capitalism can cause, or, or you know, col- colonialism. Same thing really can can, can cause.
0: Yeah, and that, I don't know I think that you know I think that young Aboriginal people are really starting to bring this. Oh my fucking! To God. bring it out to the community that this is a thing, and mining's cooked, and uh, gentrification is like moving and destroying our and our, our communities, and you know, like there's all these th- these things that are happening. Where there's so
1: many too. There's so yeah. many. Aboriginal young young activists. young
0: activists, but also like so many black feminists that are just like smashing it as well. Who like like over the last few years, I've just seen so many incredible black young feminists coming out that are just. Who are your
1: faves, dear? Or can't you choose? It's like oh my god, there's too many. Yeah, can we talk a little about um, feminism? Is is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. I find increasingly. Uh, I find it's increasingly difficult to want to call myself a feminist or identify as I may still do. It's an old habit. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure for different reasons um, emotionally, perhaps similar reasons intellectually than you, uh, do you also find
0: some kind of revulsion at the word feminism? Uh, Like I do in the sense that like I think of, you know, What's her name? Lena Dunham and, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you know, those, like, horror cases. Um, So in that sense I do. And I'd, like, I would never call my, like, say that I'm a feminist. I'd say, like, I'm a black feminist. I wouldn't mm. say that I'm just a feminist
1: mm. because okay, it's. So what makes a black feminist a black feminist?
0: I think it's, like, the un- the understandings of, like, different structural powers and how, like, they intersect between, you know, race, gender, ability, class and I think that there is the intersections of that and also, like, being queer, like, you know, I keep adding um, to the list of things, but there's all of these different things that, abri- uh, that black women and, you know, non-binary folks, like, experience hmm. and that we have a way better understanding of the of how, like, intersectional feminism, black, like, how that, yeah, we have a better understanding of how, Yeah, everything intersects and how. All right, so. It's like, I
1: think I'm thinking that you're probably not like an orthodox intersectionalist.
0: No, no. It's a useful way of thinking about things. Understanding things, but it's not, yeah. So I had my head
1: up my date for a while just in kind of like complete despair about the state of the world, right? Something seemed to be shifting in the USA and when there is a meaningful shift in the USA, there can be a meaningful shift in the world. US power has been declining in various ways, of course, not with their military hardware, um, their surveillance networks, uh, their agreements with nations like ours. Oh, yeah, we're not a nation, territory. And there was the, I think it, these, these things coincided There was a little light of hope in the form of Bernie Sanders. You know, he was having conversations with people about economics and from what I understand, he fucked up often in talking to Black Lives Matter. He's a grumpy old man. Uh, But in the end, before he went on to endorse Hillary, he had the support of, you know, Black activists that we don't dislike, Mm -hmm. right? And there was something changing in the USA. And then, you know, Hillary comes in and she says this thing about, well, Bernie Sanders wants to break up the big banks and then she asks the audience, will that end racism? Which is such a curious question, like to divide those things like material wealth and racism when they're so intimately connected.
0: Oh, my God, I didn't even know she did that.
1: And, yeah, it was just like I was kind of obsessed with the the U.S. election because I knew something was changing and I thought, wow, you know, if we do get, as everybody did think, if we do get Hillary again and the vast majority of American people continue to live in misery Mm -hmm. because, you know, like um, 51% of uh, the U.S. population earns $30,000 or less. 30% 30% own, uh, earns $28,000 or less. People of all cultures are living in absolute shit, of mm. course. The, the, the people living in the most shit are um, uh, American. Uh, what do what does one call uh, in,
0: Indigenous peoples of that region? Um, from my experience, I usually go by Native or Indigenous. Right, yep. right. Um, and... You, you know, to say that those things weren't interconnected.
1: And then so Hillary didn't get in, right? And this this monster, Circus peanard, whatever, who actually is either committed to his policy of appearing to call it like it is or is actually so thick that he's calling America like it is. Mm-hmm. And there was actually something, I mean, it was appalling but kind of like sadly true, which is what Trump often does, where he says... He tweets out to uh, you know he makes an appeal to Black Americans. You're not going to be worse off with me. Now there is an argument to be made that there may be more acts of violence, certainly um, street violence against Black people in America, mm-hmm. um, because of Trump. But unfortunately, what he said was also true.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Like when we're we're relying on like white systems that are built on genocide and have built on the backs of Indigenous people and on the backs of um, African people, that's, it's actually sadly true. Like, it, regardless, it's, it was the same with Obama. Be, it's the same with Trump. It would be the same with Hillary, mm. you know. So it doesn't, like, the tide doesn't shift when the when there's a different president. It's the same if there's a different yeah. prime minister of Australia. It doesn't shift because the system remains the same. Yeah
1: which is another, I think, I guess, effective statement of a thing that all of your comrades in war might believe, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, the ugly face of ultra-right, uh, the ultra-right reactionary, the, the white ethno no nationalist, they're always somehow just below the surface. And what a lot of people want to turn away from is the vulgar speech only. They're mm-hmm. happy to turn their back on you know, the immiseration of billions of the world's people, uh, the most offensive imperial foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But as long as the guy or lady in charge is speaking politely, Mm -hmm. then that's okay. But what I was trying to talk about, I'm an idiot, I'm sorry, you know this here on Knackers and the Vag, um, was at around this time I enviably good Australian writer and activist called Nayuka Gori wrote a piece uh, that I saw in a youth-oriented website that has an app from, you know, a sort of a, you would call it a black feminist perspective. Mm -hmm. And they wrote an account of the demonisation of Kanye West, the complaints of Lena Dunham, And how Lena Dunham, some incident or other at some gala event where she felt that a a black chap was looking her up and down as though she were not attractive, Mm -hmm. which was a peculiar thing to say. And it was just this kind of like well-crafted but like powerful torrent of stinking joy that Mm -hmm. they appeared to have dumped. And I've not, I mean, where did you? You young people, where the fuck did you come from? Like how are you able to declare these things Mm. that have not been said for so long? How was Gori able to enunciate a thing that we have not spoken about in public for many years, which Mm. is that, you know what, sometimes white women lie. Yeah. Sometimes white women weaponize the state against black men.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, you know, Nayuki is an onus, so Oh that could be why. Um (laughs) no. But I think do they have a history degree or something? No. Yeah. No. They know too much. They are incredible. Um, not just because they're my family, but because they I just like amazing in their own right, obviously. But I think that one thing I think which Nayuka brought to that was that in Gunai country, a white woman had apparently been sexually assaulted by a black man. So, by a Gunai mm. man in um, Eastern Victoria. And it caused a war, and hundreds and hundreds of Gunai people were massacred because of this. Mm. And it turned out that it was not like that at all. Mm. This woman also did not exist, and that it comes from, it comes from that, it comes from like literally from people lying. Like their pers- perspective comes from like lived experience that has been passed down from them as well, and that's why they, I think that they can critique white women in such a way that is like so true because it's not. I don't know, it's not that, it's not an attack, it's like literally just calling a spade a spade and like looking at white women as in a systemic way and not as individuals and I think that's what Nayuka, like wh- why they're such an incredible writer is because of that. It's like viewing white women systemically and not as like a few individuals which like lots of white feminists do a lot. They don't yeah. look at um, the way that the system is violates um black people and also like i think that white feminists also see themselves um I'm in a so way can we
1: uh, just um clarify these categories so i just yeah. i just want to say that mm-hmm. there are maybe some uh, feminists who are also black that does not fit the definition that you're describing of black feminism yeah i'm not saying that just to be critical mm-hmm. just
0: that i mean it's true yeah it is true i guess well, i think what i'm talking black I'm thinking aboriginal and i guess like it's normal for me to be around black feminists and to engage with black feminists Mm -hmm. aboriginal specifically that think of the world in like the systemic way that they do i don't know many aboriginal women like who or aboriginal people who are feminists and don't view it in that way
1: yeah i mean it's it's an unusual word in my view for like able to even embrace because the history of feminism in mm-hmm. this nation, and it's one that I see occurring to this day, is one of state maternalism, you know, yeah. real nanny status. Recently, for various reasons I won't bore you with, I've been sort of digging into some archives and finding some, you know, paraphernalia passed to white women in Australia in the 1920s and 30s, you know, a period similar to the present, really. Nazism or fascism on the rise, extreme, you know, white nationalism, all that kind of stuff. And there's these, um, you know, eugenics cookbooks, mm-hmm. like, because, you know, the the view which went on to inform the Nazis is that, you know, you kept your racial fitness by consuming. And you and I have spoken at other times about this. I think I sent you something saying, oh, I didn't know that, you know, Australia's kind of like premier purveyor of condoms and other useful items, the Family Planning uh, Association was initially the Racial Hygiene Association, Mm -hmm. just as Planned Parenthood in the USA started out by, you know, women uh, that are still celebrated, women who have statues, they started out as wanting to flush out undesirable elements. Mm -hmm. And in the US that included working class people. You know, Mm -hmm. in Australia it was fairly concentrated on Aboriginal people, Mm -hmm. we as feminists needed to educate you and educate the blackness out of you essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, blackness is viewed as a toxin. Yeah. Um, Whiteness is the antidote. So Mm -hmm. perhaps if you become white enough and we breed you out, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's only a trace of uh, your worst blood in you and we feed you a white diet Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I know you've done some stuff around diet as well. Like um, I I remember uh, hearing you or seeing you talk about uh, an article you'd read about like the the colonial diet and how it had been imposed on Mm -hmm. Aboriginal people. And and so this is very much, you know, our feminist legacy, our Mm -hmm. white or liberal or colonial feminist legacy. It's like get the bad things out of the society, Carolyn, Chisholm, where Mm -hmm. um, suffragettes but we also want to raid the blackness out of this land Mm -hmm. and we still celebrate
0: these women. I think, well, I think ours mainly comes from like the matriarchy, like black matriarchy. So I guess it's not valued solely off like feminism. It's actually just respecting humanity and because, well, like Gunditjmara people anyway, like, we were matriarchal and I think that's mostly a lot of Victoria as well is like very matriarchal. Mm. So it's not even like I don't think when we like when I say black feminism, like that's well, when I'm talking about it it's about it's about the matriarchy, it's about our families. It's about the women in our like like and black women in Mm. our families and the black women that have carried on legacies, the black women that have been protesting that were writing letters to the government to save their children. It wasn't mm. the black women who essentially, you know, who the colony wanted to destroy and take the kids away.
1: Oh, but, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: we like, we know that feminism has like a really shitty history, but I think it's we're, like, we're re, like, we're making it what we want. If yeah, that makes yeah,
1: sense. Yeah, and it's not something that's necessarily borrowed because... Um, no, it's literally just carrying on. I mean, you and I can both experience and, uh, and your generation, especially in the West, mm-hmm. can experience not what once would have been called dysphoria or, you know, discomfort with not feeling quite like a woman or not feeling quite like a man, mm-hmm. but let's just say that most cultures, and I'm not saying that gender is inevitable, but in most cultures in recorded human history, there are chiefly men and women,
0: you know, the male and female exists. But I think that when, like, so for me, for instance, I'll say that I'm a black woman but, like, I'm not a woman because I don't want to be a white woman. And when society expects me to be a woman... They're measuring me to be a white woman and not a black woman. So when I, that's why I don't say that I'm a woman. Yeah. Like and I will say that I'm non-binary, is that I'm not going to, like I'm not going to engage in gendered roles that have that are filled with white supremacy, and I'm not going to try fit into that. That's why, you know, I'll say that I'm a black woman, but I'm not a woman because a woman is being white. And yeah, I don't want to be that, and I think that you know. When I Like when I think of my family, I think of my grandmother and I think of my mother and my aunties like who are the matriarchs of the family but also who are quite
1: masculine as well in that. In, in terms of like what is a Western, or, ongoing Western, Western understanding
0: of masculinity. Exactly. And like for me as well, like I don't remember many like black women that are really, 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 really like highly feminine and I think that when I'm thinking about the women in my community is that we are black women and we're not, like, women. We we express ourselves in ways that aren't, like. But, like, for instance, I will get, I, like, I'm moving into a space where, like, white people or non-Aboriginal people say they, them, but, like, Aboriginal people can say she, her because black people understand what a black woman is, but non-Aboriginal people don't understand.
1: Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's um how do we how do I dig in how do I convert my thinking to more fully grasp in an intellectual way what you're saying. I wonder perhaps I can't and perhaps that's all right.
0: Yeah, I just don't think and I think it's okay not to know because like you're white and I don't think you'd understand that either. Because No, I wouldn't. Yeah, because it's like I think it's being in like growing up Black in a black community and being raised by multiple black people and especially black women, also black men, but you know, like it's the way that you're raised is, yeah, completely different okay. to that of white people.
1: Right. So, I mean, to try for me, like, I can't mm-hmm. understand it, but I don't want to say that I can't understand it in a mystic way. I yeah. mean, I just can't understand it because <laughs> I, I haven't lived it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, can I try to break it down? I don't want to ruin it for you or anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm having um, a a mild brain explosion at the moment in the effort to understand what my instinct tells me is true but I can't quite get my head around at the moment. So, okay, so my culture, the dominant skip culture in Australia, uh, we have borrowed and only mildly adapted gender as it is if you – Want to be all, you know, butler about it as it is uttered experience performed in everyday life. Like for me, even though I haven't been like a conventional lady all my life or whatever, there are prescribed behaviors and there are Mm -hmm. prescribed, there's a prescribed division of labor. Yeah. And and I'm talking about all forms of labor, including, you know, effective labor, the labor of social reproduction, the labor of Bringing community to life, which is something that Western women don't do mm-hmm. a- anymore because white culture has also become an almost entirely capitalist culture. There are very few remnants. I mean, we Australians can't say, like we, you know, as I use Australian in a critical way, like Skippy Australians. Mm. We never describe what we are. We say empty things like, it's the land of the fair go and the digger. mm mm-hmm okay, no, it's the land of we do what US foreign policy tells us. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get all sentimental about, you know, Anzac Day and, you know, the people who gave up their lives, I'm right there with you, but don't don't give me some mystic shit about what happened when I was little. My understanding of Anzac Day was it was a day of regret. Let this never happen again. Let us never go to war for an imperial power again. Let us never slay our brown brothers on their own soil for no reason. That was definitely the fucking message that I got from Anzac Day.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like I'm not saying that I was a woke toddler or anything like that, but that was back in the 1970s the way that it was understood, that it was a sad day. It was not a day of celebration. You know, now it's a day of celebration and, you know, we have these very hard kind of like gender categories we think that gender is more fluid and looser as we experience it but everything is defined in terms of whether we acknowledge it or not of man and woman and when a woman does something unusual you know like stride into the boardroom and you know finally be the chair of Westpac or whatever you know that's celebrated the idea is that suddenly she's you know, she's, she's still feminine but she's a leader and, and all of that stuff. So, the, the, you know, the exceptions continue to prove the rule. Mm-hmm. White feminists continue to say, well, if only we have the power in parliament and on boards, this is the primary narrative that white feminists um, who are widely read in Australia use. And so, so it's like all parts of life. And we, I mean, we even have this fucking pointless argument about can you be feminist in a man? Like, why even ask that question, you know, for me? It's like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? So, so, look, what I'm saying is that we have these, we have a different division of labour, we have a different mm-hmm. culture, we do different things and we view them because it's our dominant culture as natural, you know, and that anything outside that is just aberrant mm-hmm. because we are the dominant culture. And I guess... Yeah, a lot of the white woman just does not tally at
0: all with the black woman. Yeah, and it's not supposed to, though, as well, you know. It's not supposed to. Mm. Like, I think that, you know, it's supposed to be different otherwise. It's just,
1: yeah. Okay, so difference is fine for you. The preservation of difference is fine for you. You're not into sameness. No, definitely not. So yeah, I want to sorry that was um I'm sorry you've done my head in a bit. It it, it was a very interesting proposition. You, thank you for that. It's not something that I'd bothered to consider. Why are you laughing at me? Because I'm <laughs> a humorous old huh? white feminist. Um so it's okay if we can't talk to each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's okay that we I think it's important that we're not the same. I think it's important that we, I think it's important that like obviously white people do shit better, but I think it's fine that we're not
1: I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't want to be the same. No, and I can't fucking possibly understand. I yeah. cannot fucking possibly understand your life. And you can tell me all the stories about your your life and what formed you. I'm still not going to get it, am I? I'm still going to be like, what does she mean about black feminist? Why can't we just agree that the patriarchy exists all over the world? I did. No, I'm not going to think that. But it's okay that there are many occasions where you and I, just as examples, yeah. have really nothing to say to each other.
0: Yeah, but I like, think Yeah, but also like one thing which I yeah, did not bring up earlier was like I feel like white feminists also, like, in their work need to center like Aboriginal sovereignty all the time. And like it shouldn't you know what yeah. I mean? Like it has to, like it has to happen, otherwise it's like liberation for no one. That okay, needs so to happen.
1: when You make that critique. I guess what a lot of white feminists would say, but this is my project, Um, and that, you know, when women are assaulted, I I I mean women are assaulted. Yeah. Violence occurs. There's, you know, the person-on-person violence and then there's the systemic violence that we can't, you know, pinpoint on any one person Mm -hmm. but, you know, almost a sort of an organisational path dependence. Like why... Was Dylan Voller treated in this way that has been documented? Oh, it was a bad prison guard. No, it, it wasn't. It was yeah. a series of extraordinarily poor or actually cruel decisions. There's a reason that, you know, 100% of the people in juvenile detention in the Northern Territory are Aboriginal. I guess there's a reason that our fastest growing prison sector is Aboriginal, Aboriginal women. women. What the fuck's with that?
0: Aboriginal women are always used as the guinea pigs, in a sense. Um, and so, so
1: when in the coal mine kind of kind of thing, like the mo- most vulnerable.
0: Yeah, like one example which I was thinking about recently was, and which really pissing off is like people are going off about the basics card, right? That has ha- been like had happened in the Northern Territory and WA, and like other. If you're unaware
1: of what the basics card is, it was something introduced by the uh, Rudd. Labor government, their constitution calls them a democratic socialist party. They're not, have not ever been. A welfare card was um, administered to people in remote communities and the welfare card m- meant that y- you could only buy certain goods. It was a policing of your income. Yeah. So it was a, it was a punitive measure and it was a statement of you don't know how to spend your money. I mean, it makes no fucking sense if you think about it. I mean, people in remote communities. You have Warren Mundine, a man I'm sure you have, you know, very little agreement with and other people doing what I would consider truly utopian things to kind of like really economically stimulate these remote communities. Mm. It's like there's no fucking industry. What what the fuck are you you, going to do? You, you, You force capitalism onto a people and then, you know, there's no jobs in that area and so you live on a miserly, Stipend. Um, You must do that in order to survive. And not only that, but, oh, hey, now, because you can't handle your drink, you people, the most offensive fucking, I -hmm. mean, I'm kind of like more angry for alcoholics almost. Um, It's like, you know, we've all had experiences with friends, family with addiction, right? Mm -hmm. I tell you, why fuckers can drink? Yeah, Um, they can. The rivers of grog. They're in the suburbs.
0: They really are. and But we
1: do it behind walls. And so yeah. mum can have 17 bottles
0: of Chardonnay. No one knows. Exactly. And so, you know, with the basics card now, like it's coming to different areas oh, outside yes. of Aboriginal and people are kicking up a stink about it. And it's like, oh, the young people, which is really shit, but, you know, it's like basics cards are really cooked, but nobody wanted to do anything Really, when it w- was happening in Aboriginal communities, but now there's like this uproar of su- like support of there, trying to stop.
1: There were some of
0: us who were making noise about it. I mean, there was, but like, I just feel like there just wasn't like enough.
1: Okay, I, I just can I, um, can I just propose something to you? Mm-hmm. And I want you to remember that Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance got 60,000 people, and like, we might talk to a lot of them and, you know, not find that we have a great deal um, in common, either of us, from our different perspectives. But I want to say that there was a show of support and it wasn't condescending and and people, just humans, aren't that fucking thick. They're Mm -hmm. made thick. They are fucking made thick. They are deadened by this world. Mm. And if you don't hear support, I'm telling you as somebody who once worked for big legacy media, and now can only really write for small independent media that if you say something like that and mm-hmm. if you dare, so Basics Cards 2009, I think, and we're all still basking in the white mythological glory of the apology saying, mm-hmm. oh, this is a great time. This is a great time. You write that. And I I pitched an article to the Sydney Morning Herald mm-hmm. at the time. You can't write it. Mm-hmm. This for me is a good news story. Like, I mean, this is an intriguing news story. This is great Fodder for an an opinion piece. It's like, you know, they fucking suspended the racial discrimination act to do this shit, Mm -hmm. and now the fucking state is controlling spending, like what the actual fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, I think as you know, a person in this territory, I'm perfectly entitled to, you know, write. Is like this is Mm -hmm. a fucking violation of very basic rights. How can you do this? And there were people that I knew who were just like, particularly yeah. older people who were back, there was this thing called, you know, there was an identity card pr- proposed back in mm-hmm. the 1980s and, there, you know, all these people who were really very anti-surveillance and shit. And so there were people, there were people, but we can't express it. We don't get yeah. invited on the drum. We don't get in the fucking Guardian much. Yeah. You know, it just, mm-hmm. the good thing is, you can say it and people will listen.
0: Oh, no, but, like, no, but, like, the I guess the point I was trying to make was that all these things get trialled yep. and erred on Aboriginal people but then it doesn't reach, I don't know, like Aboriginal people talking about mining and saying how fucked up it is, mm. people are like, oh, yeah, whatever, like, shut up. Mm. And then, like, young kids go fucking protest like all these school (laughs) students go protest and everyone's like oh my god look at all the children yeah but you know like i think it's great like i'm like yeah good like kids go but i think it just shows like how little like humanity white australia has for aboriginal people and that applies to like you know white feminism whatever yeah we can never break through okay yeah i mean Yes, that's where I was. Oh, I
1: understand, and yeah. yeah, and it's a very good point to make that there have been many things tried, yeah, on Aboriginal people, Aboriginal women first, that are then exercised on other populations. First, they came for the Aboriginals, then they came for the Jews. You know, kind mm. kind of thing. Um, and uh, you know, there are many people who theorise that the the model of uh, surveillance. Uh, applied by Broad Spectrum or whatever Transfield's called now and and Wilson um, and whoever administers Nauru now, a lot of this had been trialled previously on Aboriginal people. Prisoners, you know, prison populations have untold, unrecorded experiments performed on them. There's a lot of things that are done first to persons who are regarded as less than citizens
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, then, um, and then tried out. And then, yeah, you're completely right, like people don't get as outraged and I take your advice and I'm still, my head's kind of still spinning from the idea of gender because, I mean, honestly I can't say even though I've read quite widely about, you know, transnational theories of feminism, psychoanalytic theories of feminism, I still don't have an idea of gender in my head. Mm -hmm. I still don't know what it is and how it reproduces itself and how it is apparently relatively global.
0: I literally have a book in my bag that you could have. Which one? It's called Is Gender Fluid. Right. All right. I can I've got it in my bag. Thank you so much. Okay. Having
1: said that, you know, I'm sure that I'll still have questions mm-hmm. um about it. So
0: Well, I think that also like if we can understand I think that's very white to think of gender in like the very like male. And sex, like male, like sex, male, female way as well, like because you've got even like in Turtle Island, you've got people who were two spirit, and you had people who sat outside of the gender binaries that exist now under like in a white society, pretty much. You've got people in Samoa who have fafafine, and you know, like there's all these cultures mm. in like in India. Um, I feel like it's when we think about bits equal then Oh, yeah, of course. I you mean, know? Of course. You know, I mean,
1: biological sex is gender's alibi or whatever, mm. but, you know, it goes into, uh, like, are there even pre-existing, you know, physical categories? Like, that's another kind of, like, head-fucking philosophical question around mm-hmm. gender to ask. Does the physical appearance make itself felt the difference um, that are, you know, the differences, are they are they perceived by children at a, at a particular age? If we continue our reproduction by women, you know, say we don't have test tubes, does the fact that we become people chiefly for the sake of convenience and, you know, the mobile bar facilities and, and what have you, can we become people without women? I mean, honestly, like, I, w- I want to read the book that you've recommended, but this has preoccupied me for a number of years. I mean, just trying to like strip away the layers of Western thought mm-hmm. and to think: is the individual and the other a natural apprehension that everybody has because we're we're prematurely born mammals who cannot really survive until we're eight independently, just mm-hmm. biologically. So, as we are of woman born. What role does that play in gender and what does that mean in a in a kind of like a an international sense like it's a it's a question that we need to keep problematizing there are competing theories of gender that are you know deeply feminist and I don't think it's just as simple as well it's all made up or it varies from culture to culture not everybody is going to coincide with like the dominant ideas of man and woman and then in some cultures and in cultures within within cultures people are going to be more tolerant of or even notice less what divergent behaviour is. I agree with you completely Mm -hmm. that no one fucking fits into this idea of man and woman. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, if I were your age, I would be gender fluid as fuck. I think it's a great category. But I've been calling myself a lady for so long, I just, you know, I'm too old to change, that it has become broadly acceptable to do so and that it coincides with your experience and that, you know, the way you so, um for me, like thunderously articulated the idea of I am not a woman unless you're Aboriginal, then you can refer to me as she, which is, you know, poetic and mind-fucking at once. I take your, not only your advice because I'm trying to be a good ally, fuck, I hate that word, <laughs> Comrade, comrade. We can be comrades. We can still like have differences and be comrades. We can have Mm -hmm. solidarity. Solidarity means seeing past all that shit and understanding that I don't understand you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You understand me because you've had me forced down your throat your whole life. Exactly.
0: Don't you tell me twice?
1: (laughs) You understand everything about, you know, I think this is something that um, Malcolm X says, that what you don't know is that I understand everything about you and you understand nothing about me. Wasn't that James Baldwin? You're Mm -hmm. completely right. Um, It's quite right that you should school me on that. Of course, it was James Baldwin. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) Not really. Too old to be embarrassed. So, look, I think there are people among the 60,000 in Melbourne and the the, the people that will come this January 26th to other posts around the Territory Mm -hmm. who can accept these ideas, who can be shaken up by you and by others and by your form of organisation. You've got 60,000 people mm. and I'm not trying to make an argument that white people are good. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. And I'm not saying, hey, we're the well, silent majority and we're all on your side.
0: I think that it's actually the work that Aboriginal people have done in Victoria specifically, which has like we've forced white people to get out in the streets with us.
1: I know. Yeah. You know what I
0: mean? Like, Like we have done that work to get them out in the streets. Like I also like thank the people that do come out, but it's also the hard work that we've done, like war has been organising since 2014 and, like, in Melbourne since, like, you know, first invasion day 2015 and, like, we've done so much work in bringing so many different messages, whether it's black deaths in custody, whether it's Aboriginal communities closing down, whether it's Dylan Voller, um, Elijah Doherty, Miss Jew, like, Japperong trees, like the it just that's so much work that we have put in to build this I know. build this movement here in Victoria, and what our also like elders have done as well. Is that like I think it's really great that white people come out, but it's also the yeah. hard work that we've put in to yeah. bring people out.
1: But I want to say, and I think that you're probably conscious of this, that a lot of the things that you are prescribing for this kind of like distant let's not call it utopian but realist future in which we can all survive that there are people who can completely understand there are other people that can completely understand no I don't understand a lot about you you Mm -hmm. understand as we now know was James Baldwin um (laughs) everything about me but you know even so there might still be you know between us mutually mm-hmm. um some inability to communicate and really understand yeah. the other's experience now the technique that a lot of people have used and i've seen you know people use it on you and i mean frankly you know you've had a pretty interesting life and i do like tarnine stories i do like the kind of you know this um accidentally heroic figure who just says something incidental And it causes the biggest media tantrum of the week. But, like, that whole thing of, like, telling a story and together we can really understand each other and if we really understand each other, then we Mm -hmm. can move forward. Fuck that, right? Like, we don't need to. Like, Mm -hmm. um, even intellectually, right, we're at cross purposes or in very different places in our understanding of gender. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely take your points about how, uh, white feminists must centre uh, the struggle of Aboriginal people at their work. Why, why bother, you know, doing anything else? It must appear. It must appear repeatedly. It is your responsibility. Tarnine has explained how woman, our woman, doesn't exist. I'm talking to white people now, right? Um, <laughs> I'm talking to you, whitey. <laughs> um, you know, you're, I think you've articulated. Why? But I wanna say also that there is like international solidarity appeal. These ideas don't just belong to you, they can easily belong to other people. And while your techniques and you've explained that, like your your personal techniques, an Aboriginal led resistance movement is not only a good thing because you're not being told what to do by others, like a residence for reconciliation, <laughs> but it's because you have an advantage of particular forms of social organisation. So, you know, all of that is true, but there is, in what you say, appeal for others. Now, it doesn't have to be my humanity understands your humanity. It doesn't have to be you tell me a story, I tell you a story. We don't Mm. have to have a fucking picnic to fight the fascists. No. What is common to our struggle? I mean, to me, it feels immediately apparent I don't feel, I didn't feel last January the 26th that I was there to support you. Mm -hmm. I felt that I was in one sense present. You know, I was not just representing an oppressed group of others but that it was a fight for the territory itself.
0: Yeah. It's like it's a fight together in a sense. Like without, you know, the reconciliation bullshit, it's like, there's no justice for you if there's no justice for me. Yeah, And I think that, who was it? Was it Uncle Rob again? Am I quoting Uncle Rob again? I think I am. Like, there's no justice in stolen land. No. And, like, if we don't put Aboriginal sovereignty and centre it in our political movements, then there's going to be no justice, whether it's for queers, trans folk, women. Blah, blah, blah. Like it just... Even
1: the you know the, the tortured ruling class,
0: yeah, you know and exactly. Even, like I feel sorry for them. Well, you
1: know? yeah. Well, I mean, I do. Like I actually. I mean, I'm not going to say that I, you know, I've you know had all of the racism mystically vacuumed out of my head. I mean, it's not possible. No. You know, none of us is pure. Mm-hmm. All of us is toxic, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> toxic masculinity. What a dumb concept. Concept, really. <laughs> I mean, can we not talk about toxic femininity too as, you know, we could extrapolate that from Tarnine's argument about woman, white woman. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, we can have solidarity. We are fighting for a mutual goal. I was trying to express that earlier when I said the white unconscious is damaged. There is no pleasure in identifying with the colonial settler, in identifying with the ruling class, who have always been a tiny proportion. Mm. I mean, I'm not making an emotional case here, but uh, my ancestors were brought here in, in the hull of a boat in chains. You know, and, but this argument, you know, then you hear it as like, well, my ancestors were convicts, but that's as far as it goes. Why are we talking about history? Well, history is occurring now. History is something that you perhaps want to conceive of. Uh, history has a shape. Things occur in history, things will occur in history. Again, how do we grab the gears of history for a life where we can all flourish? And that's psychologically, economically, socially, what I felt I was present for. I was not saying sorry. I'm not going to say sorry to you, it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Not unless I can give you money or something. I mean, you don't want me to say
0: sorry to you, do you? Look, Helen, sorry to break it to you, but no, I would (laughs) not like you to say sorry.
1: Selfishly, what I want is this stain that informs my identity. I'm not saying feel sorry for me, poor little white girl, but... And this is down to the work of activists and thinkers like you, Nayuka, Amy McGuire, uh, so many great black thinkers in the present. And I've heard older people in the Aboriginal community saying, oh, good, I can die now, like literally saying that. I feel that I can go- I die now, I've been replaced, like older black power people. Have you heard this too? I have heard it before. It could possibly... Be from the same person. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, he likes to bang on,
0: doesn't he? He does. About dying. But he does. it's actually it. a
1: really nice thing to say.
0: It is a really nice thing to say, but I think one thing that's, I think that scares me is how it's a lot of responsibility. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it's not just you. Um, no. And it's, it's,
0: it's, uh, that's the great thing about black movements is that it's never one person and it's always a group and it's always collective. It's always a community of people.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. But you know, we're walking together,
1: <laughs> hand in <laughs> hand, and we're having a fucking picnic, <laughs> and we're sharing stories. And finally, Make Daisy
0: chain. And finally, I
1: understand you, and you understand me. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Hey, one other thing. And I mean, I know you can pick up on this in me. Like, I'm sure that you're in demand with the white woman, right? Like, I had to nag you for ages to come over to mine, and you know. Yeah. Look. Like, We all want a bit of you, you know. (laughs) I mean, I've got to say it's not entirely selfish. It's like I see you as, you know, at the hub of something that's happening. It's important to document. I would really like to talk to some of your comrades and at least get on tape some of your organisational methods, which could inspire all sorts of organising committees Mm -hmm. because there are things, as you've articulated, you know, to, to teach others. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, are white women and white feminists eager to share stories with you, connect with you? Do you feel, and it's okay if you feel it with me too, it's fine, I'm old, everybody hates me, I don't care, but do you feel ever, and I know you wouldn't allow it to happen, but do you feel ever as though your function is to be proof of somebody else's white goodness?
0: All the time it happens <laughs> all the time, and but the thing is as well, like one thing that I'm really thankful for is that like i've been I've been brought up in a black community, yeah and with black people, so like all of my like ninety nine percent of the people I hang around with and all the people I live with are Aboriginal, and like that's one thing which I'm glad that I haven't like shifted from, yeah because like I think that when you do become like when you do have a public profile, and you're in a like a minority community, it can shift, and your friendship groups can shift to that which were different.
1: Group. What you falsely have, what you have maybe falsely perceived, is is power. Yeah, I mean, or you become in the sense of the the, the ruling culture is
0: uh, an object for them to throw turds at. Yeah, and so I think that like for a while now, I'd even before Invasion Day. Like I'd go to panels and I'd have a chat and I'd be like, why am I wasting my time on them when like one of my siblings said to me that black power and white power are the same thing. Oh, what? Yes. Oh, well, I
1: hope you just gave them a bit of a lecture and a a reading list.
0: Well, I gave them, yeah, a bit of mouth, but it's like it's more recently, but like I was thinking actually the thing that was really, which really made me think was like, like one of my close cousins said, what does sovereignty mean? And I was like, well, what am I doing? Going to panels, going to like speak in front of white people or like non-aboriginal people. Well, am I am I putting all my time and energy into people that are never going to really get it, or can I put my time and energy into people that mm. I know that can yeah. use that like that use totally. that knowledge and do things with it and like be part of this movement? Like Th- that with- you
1: don't have the aspiration to be, you know, respectable or loved or even gainfully employed with a book deal or whatever it is so fucking amazing.
0: Yeah, and I just, and for me, I was like, I'm literally, I was just like, I'm sick of wasting my time on panels. I'm sick of wasting my time talking to white people. Like, I'm just, like I'll put work in, like I'll put work into the like white people or non-Aboriginal people who I have relationships with because that's just natural like relationships. But I'm not, like I'm not going to like be burnt out anymore running from one side of town to the other to speak to a bunch of, like, non-Aboriginal people anymore, like, I'm going to prioritise my community and I'm going to hang around with my community because that's who's one, supported me through the invasion day ordeal, but since so did so many other people. But when all the shit went down, like, I Aboriginal was, people were there for me. It was full on. Yeah.
1: Like, um, can, I just want to describe a couple of the mm. ludicrous things that occurred. I mean, you know, apart from being cast as the, uh, you know, demonic, uncomfortably, conspicuously sexual dark woman, right? Mm-hmm. And this is very much how you're 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 characterized. I mean, people were focusing on Tanin's uh, tattoo. Uh yeah. for example. It's an acronym. I haven't asked her what it means. I have learned that it's polite not to ask people about their tattoos. They're um <laughs> generally speaking, um, you know, quite personal decision. But, you know, whatever, like the Daily Mail focuses on what does her tattoo mean. And what was crazy to me when I was, you know, sort of seeing and reading this and before I met her and became, you know, a white girl, you know, fan lady to you, which I'm sure is a common experience, I just, you know, I just couldn't believe the intensity of the focus on what does she really believe when what you believe is clearly declared. Mm-hmm. It's written on the internet. It's available on YouTube. You say like it. two hundred articles about it. Like you don't. You're not a Nazi. You're the opposite of a Nazi. A Nazi conceals their agenda. A liberal conceals their agenda from themselves. Like a white Western liberal conceals their agenda from themselves. They do that thing. If we want to use the word toxic where they don't marry uh, the political, the social life with the economic one or, you know, with the actual material function of societies. Like, why are black women going to prison? Well, your answer, dear liberal, would be because of racist attitudes. And if we only talk to each other and share stories, we'll see that, no, the problem is the prison. That's the problem. The problem is the prison. The problem of the late capitalist prison is that the prison is profitable. And they find new money-making subjects, which happen to be Aboriginal women, because, you know, as Taneen rightly says, most of the time, we don't give a fuck. So no one knows, and no one talks about it. But uh, I felt this urge when I met you, because of what I read about you, because I'd seen, you know, the sort of. Like I've had my time in headlines too, not like you, but like not pleasant back in the day. Um, So I felt this urge, which was completely inappropriate, to share my story of trauma. And I'm wondering if a lot of white feminists do that, like I want to show you that I hurt too because it's. it's yeah. I've got to say that it was an impulse that I had.
0: Yeah, it happens like quite a bit. Especially on the internet, I think I find it happens a lot on Twitter and Instagram because that's, like, where, like, I'm publicly Mm -hmm. available to people and, like, people will tell me about their experience with sexual assault or they'll tell me about their experiences with going to um, psych hospitals or their eating disorders or, you know, the list goes on Mm -hmm. of their, their trauma that white women experience, and it's only a drop in the ocean of that which, you know, the people nearest and dearest to me experience. And, mm. you know, and I think that it's really frustrating because there's just this idea of seeing a black woman as, like, traumatised, and then it's like seeing the black woman as traumatised, so then, then sharing that experience of trauma but then it's just dumping yeah. and just using black women as a dumping ground for trauma because they've experienced it too. Yeah.
1: I want to say that there's probably a compassionate and liberal impulse there as well, which is if, and people are told this consistently, this is whether you are aware of it or not, it is being demonstrated and said directly that we make ourselves human by telling stories. Our societies function better by telling stories. When we hear a story of trauma, we truly understand somebody else. Well, it's absolute bullshit. You know, a little boy from Pakistan, I think he was 11 or so at the time, talked about how he feared at the UN, how he feared blue skies. Why did he fear blue skies? Because blue skies meant that there would be a drone attack. Everybody cried. Everybody said, I've been so moved. Little Alan Curdy, oh, I believe it was um, – September 2015, one of many refugees fleeing the fucking mess in Syria, this little body of a toddler is photographed, uh, an emergency worker is fishing this, this dead little boy out of the Aegean and everyone said never again, including Obama, you know, never again, we won't let this happen. This cannot occur. This is where it ends. Oh, you know, these beautiful private school kids have, and good on you, you know, have protested the climate. Oh, I'm so moved. This will never happen again. They've shared their stories. Well, it doesn't fucking work. Yeah, You know, you can watch Nanette 500 times. You're not going to understand what it's like to live a queer life and it's a delusion that you ever can if Mm -hmm. you've not felt queer before. And, you know, you can be amused. You can listen, you can learn something new, but you won't understand and you won't act.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm just thinking on what you told me about the very conceptions of gender and uh, different genders and how they exist very differently in Aboriginal culture. And I'm thinking in the West, women have traditionally been permitted not to talk about structures, systems, history. The women who do it, like I, I believe uh, Rosa Luxemburg, a, a communist hero, murdered, I think, 100 years ago uh, this month. Rather unconventional and uh, dangerous woman. I mean, of course, not the only communist um, of any gender to be assassinated, but women are not supposed to talk about systems. Women aren't supposed to, in the West, offer you a theoretical framework for history. I don't know why anyone would give a fuck who's giving you that knowledge to help you understand the opaque systems that drive all our lives and drive us all fucking crazy. It doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man. The important thing is the knowledge and the important thing that you get something in your head to understand a world that is so complex you'll never understand it any better than I'll ever understand Tarnin, right? But you can have a basic idea basic theoretical framework to understand how history moves, how power reproduces itself, how racial divisions are exploited in order to keep immiserated people separate and the story doesn't work but we're told this by example and directly all the time. So what I want to say is that I think white women might be using their way because they don't understand yours yeah, and they've somehow misunderstood that you, like anybody who's probably, and it doesn't take much, you know, it really doesn't take much, it's in you, it's in everybody, Mm. you might die for something that you believe in. I I believe that we would all do that Mm -hmm. given the right conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe you probably would, you've made a sacrifice of ego um, and a sacrifice of self in order to share an understanding with Aboriginal people and to develop your own framework, you concede life might not be good in my lifetime, doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. for the future, you know. It's a bit kind of like Mao Tse like, you know, has the cultural revolution worked? I don't know, ask me in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Of course it didn't, but uh, by the by. <laughs> and I think that's why you might be an offence and I think that's why you might be exciting. Because you don't want to hear my trauma, you don't want to talk about your trauma, you want to talk about tactics to
0: jam the machinery. Yeah. Is that possible? I think it is. I think it's going to be a fucking fight. I think it's, it'll be a fight but I think it's possible.
1: Yeah, I think I'm okay with us not having a shared feminist understanding but, you know, I do think that we should immediately go off, raid each other's hair and tell intimate secrets about our brutalized pasts. That sounds like a great idea. Hold have come back. Be- no, I'm fucking joking. Um, okay I probably bored you shitless. Has that been okay for you? Was mm-hmm. it all alright? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um
0: should we go? I think so. And I've learned a lot about you, Helen. <laughs> oh really? What do you mean? Oh just you know the just learnt a lot about you and your thinking and Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Well, I feel that I've learned a fair bit about yours mm-hmm. uh, as well, and it impedes my understanding, which is based almost entirely in you know Western literature.
0: Yeah, I'm but,
1: not. I'm not going to say that I'm likely to change, but um, very. I feel slightly buoyed by yeah. you, by you saying, you agreeing with me that we don't need to. We can be neighbours. Uh, we could even perhaps have a, a, a shandy at some mm-hmm. juncture. All these things are possible. We could work together. We could collaborate but maintain our mutual alienation from each other and it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. I think it's like being like it's being respectful but not being intrusive. It's like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes I find that relationships with white women specifically can be like really in, like intrusive in you know what I mean? I, well, you don't know what I mean. But um it's my automatic reaction when I'm talking about something. No, science. I do like, know yeah, what you I mean. mean because I've
1: been in long term um, relationships with and intimate relationships with white women and
0: it's fucking full on. Like yeah. we're awful. And it's you know, and <laughs> but um needy <laughs> But you know, and I think that like I like I do have like obviously I have white people who are friends, like I'm not you know Anyway, um, but I think that there's the relationships that I do have are really meaningful and, like, it's mutual that we get along. And, like, I have friends who aren't political at all and wouldn't even have the, you know, don't even understand any, like anything political, and that's okay too. I think for me, like, it works to have people that in my life that are not political at all and don't understand anything and that we can just laugh and talk a lot of shit.
1: It not only works, but it's mandatory. If one wants to be a, a more or less functioning self, Yeah. then most of one's relationships, I mean, it's not, you know, you've, you've, you've spoken in the terms that I can understand them, very considerate of you, thank you, about how uh, your way of thinking, your way of not being a woman is moulded by your culture. But it, at no time are you saying, well, you know, we are all as one. We are monolithic. We are, you know, the the one organism. Uh, no more than any group of people is the one organism. Like a certain amount of alienation and, and estrangement from other people, a uh, bit of confusion, lots of different sorts of people around you, it's part of life whether that's, you know, Dealing with multicultural Australia, <laughs> um or it's your neighbours or it's your mum. I mean, you know there are going to be distances of of various kinds that are either psychological or more broadly, you know, social and historic mm-hmm. all. And that's okay. you know that's that's fine. And most people don't give a fuck about having a theoretical framework of history. Most people don't give a fuck about politics. Most people, and quite right too, Want running water, you know, like yeah. a nice bed, health care when they're ill, actually, mm-hmm. you know, as much as one can't trust sort of poverty data taken around the world, like the questions posed to people, what are the most important things to you, mm-hmm. ha- having a place to live and uh, being able to have, uh, to care for my family, mm-hmm. uh, having some time to do things I enjoy, you know, just it's the whole… How, um- hierarchy but but no it's just like the hierarchy of needs mm. right and yeah it's that basic in a way um we're all yeah i think it, fighting for the best kind of survival
0: yeah and i think well like that's how like my counselor he yeah, that's how he puts it he puts it through a needs basis and like you fit in wherever like whether it's he says it's security power um there is five. And is that and he applies it to the five different needs. Oh, my God. I'm so brain dead. Okay.
1: Um, Taneen Tarn-
0: Onus-Williams
1: yeah. is inevitably bored by your hostess, the Vag. <laughs> You've been uh, <laughs> here on oh, <laughs> and the Vag. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, Helen at badhostess.com. Um, give me uh, some money at Patreon. Actually, no, give um, uh, Nayuka Gori some money on Patreon. They're writing a book. I understand. Yeah. I chuck them a couple of bucks. You should too, because they can write. They can write. I'm very jealous. I envy others' creative gifts because I'm that grown up. War have made a pseudo commitment to document their. Strategies for others, for history, for posterity, for Professor Foley. <laughs> yeah, of course. No. <laughs> you have given up talking about yourself and a part of yourself in your activism. You've become, as have other members of war, attached to history and you have abandoned yourself to a degree. And I like a bit of that. That's a bit of the revolutionary not enough of it about. <laughs> and uh, it actually isn't. Why don't you consider coming along to one of the January 26 events organized by War? Yeah, I mean, look, just fucking come, all right? Mm-hmm.
0: Just come. You can't. Just don't show up with a change the date banner or yeah. poster and or whatever.
1: Unless you've got Fucker. really pressing gardening needs, you've got absolutely no excuse. Yeah, but you, you know, you, or you know, if you have like dialysis or mobility issues, and or just I don't know. Anyway, look, if anyway, you can come, come, yeah. please. It's um, it's mm-hmm. important experience that Frisson of actually fighting for mutual survival. It's not about feeling guilt for the past. It's being aware of the cruelty and the pain in the
0: present. Mm-hmm. I just think, too, I think it doesn't matter, like, sometimes it's like, what can we do from now, you know? It's not always about. We're creatures of history. Yeah. I don't know, that's one thing I think that really pisses piss me off is that people are like, oh, it happened ages ago? It's like now, but blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what can we do? And it's like, what you can do is show up on, to the rally on January 26th. There is one in Brisbane, organised by war, Melbourne, but also there are rallies in Sydney and Perth. And the information
1: is abundantly available. In the future, I would really like to talk to you or some of your comrades about your organisational methods. I know a few people working in other groups in collaboration with you. I'm really interested in how it works. I suspect that a lot of the stuff that you do happens on the ground, not necessarily all on social media. I also want to say, we've been talking forever, but I also want to say showing up is, if you can show up, showing up gives you a very different experience, the, inhabiting the real space. Even perhaps abandoning social media, certainly trying to abandon other people's accounts of what is occurring in the place that you're in. Look, I'm not being so, hey kid, get your face out of your phone, but go there, immerse yourself. Even if for half an hour... And be, be present. Be present for that mm. moment and allow yourself to enjoy an experience which you, you may never have had before and is absolutely whoever you are there for the taking, and that is fighting for our mutual not only survival but flourishing. There is abundance in the world for all. Capitalism has given us a lot of shit, but what it did give us at this point in history is abundance. We can survive. We can flourish. We fucking desperately need to change. One good exercise in changing is, especially with the rise of other, the 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 unambiguously fascist Nazi right in Australia. You must show your solidarity in some way. Please, if you see
0: Tarnine in the street, don't tell your story. Please do not. Tell me your story on Twitter or Instagram or any um, electronical method. Please don't. She is alive, a stranger,
1: but she is also your comrade. Are you okay with comrade, comrade? hmm I'm okay with that. Thank you so much. You need to go to Betty Vovo's. Not. You have been listening to Knackers, Knackers, Knackers and the Vag, Vag, Vag in an all-survive-and-flourish January. Goodbye, settler colonials. Goodbye to settler colonialism itself. We can change it. It's just going to be a bit of a pain in the arts.
0: Bye.